Amen. So we are in Philippi, the book of Philippians now, and we're going to start uh, just going through this verse by verse. And there is a lot I want to try to cram in to this one message. But uh, one thing I want to point out before I get into this, one of the things that I've been uh, trying to you know, train the guys who are wanting to be pastors to do is expository preaching. And it's very important, and I'm learning more and more the importance of studying the Bible in a way where you're trying to get the original intent that the author had when they wrote it. And I'm afraid way too much in the IFB world, we have this tendency to just use a verse as a springboard so we can, in the, you know, we use a verse as a springboard to get us to talk about whatever subject we're wanting to talk about. It's like, I just want to rip on whatever tonight. I need a verse, you know. And then we go and we use verses that, you know, that really wasn't what the author was talking about when they wrote that. You know, or another thing we'll do is we want to preach on a subject, you know, and we want to preach truth, maybe on eternal security, for example. And we want to show how it's taught all over the Bible. And so we'll just kind of take a verse, you know, doing your e-sword study. Oh, this sounds like it goes along with eternal security. Not realizing that we took that verse out of context. And, I, and the reason I'm talking about this is as I was going through this, you know, trying to just get the full theme of the chapter, the full theme of the book, I noticed a couple of verses that I have definitely misused. And I regularly find stuff when I'm studying this way and preparing messages this way, find out that, you know, I've not appropriately used verses. Now, what I preached was true. You know, my position was true, but I shouldn't have used that verse. And we got to watch stuff like that. And I'm... I am working on myself in this area big time because this kind of thing bothers me and I see it all the time. You know, good people preaching truth and, and I'll hear them use a scripture and it's like, you shouldn't use that scripture. And we've all been there. I, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, but I want to point a couple of these out to you. But uh, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. So it says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So understand he's writing here specifically to a group. He's writing to the, uh, the, uh, all the saints in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. We know this book at the end of the, uh, end of the book, you'll notice it says to the Philippians written from Rome by Epaphroditus. So this is a book. It says written by Epaphroditus, but I believe it was clearly written by, you know, at the hand of Epaphroditus, but it was written by Paul. Because this is what's known as one of the prison epistles. Paul is in prison when this is being written. And so he's not going to probably have a paper and pen on hand. And so he probably had people visiting him like Epaphroditus. And he kind of told him what to write. And he thought, I want you to send this to the people at Philippi. Because even while Paul is in prison, he's thinking about his brothers and sisters. And the title of the message tonight is Motivating Our Fellow Soldiers. Because that's really what this book is all about. And that's especially what this chapter is all about. And there's a lot of uh, good practical truths that we can get that we ought to be doing. We ought to be trying to motivate those who are working towards the same thing. When it comes to the people that are in our church especially, we're working for the same thing. We ought to be trying to motivate them, whether it be our brothers and sisters in other churches or in other parts of the world. We ought to be trying to motivate them. We ought to always have them in our hearts. We ought to always be thinking about them. And that's how the Apostle Paul was. He wasn't sitting in prison thinking, I wonder why nobody's writing me in a letter of encouragement today. The Apostle Paul, what's he doing? He's writing letters of encouragement 
two other churches. And thankfully, he had men like Epaphroditus who were there to help him out and that were there for him. We see in chapter um, 2, verse 25, he said, Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger that he ministered, uh, and he that ministered to my wants. So Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. He's somebody who's working with Paul. He says in 4.18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So these people in Philippi, they had sent some things to Paul to be a help to him. And he received them by Epaphroditus. And this was a great encouragement to him. And obviously he needed that while in prison. You know, even the Apostle Paul wasn't too good to write a thank you note to a supporting church whenever he was in prison. And I've known that too. You know, there's you, you do things for these missionaries and stuff and you never hear from them again. You know, they, they never do anything. We went one time, we helped a church. There was a, a church, they moved to a new location. We wanted to help them out. We went, took a group there, you know, knocked on doors. You know, I mean, we knocked a lot of doors. We even got somebody saved while we were out there. You know, they had a grand opening coming up. I never heard how that went. You know, he never called, never sent a letter. It was just, you know, it's like, you know, when people do something to try to help, at least let them know how it went. That's just how people, and that's just laziness. But even Apostle Paul, he was able to do that. Um, we see, it mentions at the beginning of the verse, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice too, you know, Timotheus is somebody that's often mentioned, or Timothy. And it's very possible he could have been in prison with him. I personally think Timothy just stayed around while he was in prison just in case Paul needed anything. Because back in the day, you know, they didn't have all the rights that we do today. You know, today prisoners, they actually have it pretty good. And in those days, you know, if you didn't have somebody that was there locally kind of looking after you, you might not get all the food that you need. You might not get and take, you might not get taken care of. And that was often the case. And it says in chapter two, verse 19, it says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So that's why I think Timothy wasn't in prison with him at this time unless he, they knew he was going to be getting out soon because he said, I'm going to shortly send him to you. But he was probably hanging around to minister to the needs of Paul. Timothy was a great help. It says in Romans 16, 21, Timotheus, my work fellow. So notice too, one of the things that made the Apostle Paul great, I believe, is the people that surrounded him. And you'll notice in all his epistles, he's always kind of ending the epistle naming a bunch of people. You know, hey, salute this person, greet this person. He's always, I mean, the Apostle Paul was very close to a lot of people because of the fact, one, the, you know, he loved these people because these people worked with him. The great works that the Apostle Paul did were not done by himself. He had people with him. And the greats, all the, you know, what we call the greats of the day. Okay? They were great, not just because of who they were, but because of the people that worked with them. You know, and a lot of times we don't know the names of those other people. We only know the names of whoever the leader was, the pastor was, or whatever. But you'll, you know, anybody who knew them, was around them, would know that they had great people working with them, propping them up, 
you know, helping them out. And that is why they were as great as they were. And they would be the first ones to tell you that if you could ask them. And so it was the same thing with the Apostle Paul. But so in verse 2, it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So there is a special bond with those who are working from the same thing, no matter how far apart. And especially when it comes to the gospel. You know, I mean, I, I mean, I was encouraged last week just going to Canada and meeting with all these people there in Toronto that are just like-minded believers. Just people that are out there soul winning, giving the gospel to whoever they can. I mean, I was, I, I can't even tell you just how encouraged I was when I went to Ireland and met people from all over Europe. You know, there were a couple of guys I talked to that were from France that, you know, they, you know, they were telling me that, you know, France, there, there are people getting saved every week in France. These guys, they don't have a good church to go to, but they're just, they're dedicated soul winners and they're just doing what they can do. And they're out there knocking on doors, getting people saved, even in places like France. I'm encouraged by that. And so, you know, if I can go to places like that and just, and it's an encouragement for me to show up and just preach to these people, I'm going to do that. Because, and let me tell you something, I do, I, I care what goes on. I saw, um, you know, they just had a soul winning event in Edinburgh. And I was watching the video from it. And I, I'm just encouraged by that. You know, I'm planning on going to England next year. And just, I'm planning on just preaching to people who apparently get encouraged from my preaching that, you know, I do here, that they get to listen to online. And if I can do something to go and just be a motivation to people that are out there soul winning and giving the gospel, I want to do that because I do, I appreciate it. And I'm telling you, there's a, there's a something special about these people. And it's just amazing how fast we click. And how much I care. And I do. I pay attention. You know, that's one of the great things about, you know, social media. While I talk a lot about how horrible it is, it is nice to be able to kind of connect with these people a little bit, to be able to talk to them, uh, you know, maybe answer questions that they might have, to be able to see what's going on sometimes. In their case, they can see what's going on over here. Helps us to be a light in these places. Folks, this is all good stuff that we were able to do. And we ought to do that kind of thing. And I would encourage you that if you are, if you are somebody that's on, if you're not on social media, you know, I'm not going to recommend you get on it. You're probably better off. But if you are on it and you want to justify it and you want to accomplish something for good, you know, make friends with some of these people on there who are like-minded that are in other parts of the world and be an encouragement to them. I've talked to a lot of people too that, um, you know, they... You know, they have close, they've made close friends there, you know, with people in other parts of the world. You know, they're in an area where it's really tough. They don't have a good church and they've made friends with other people in other parts of the world. It's kind of the same thing. And I'll hear them, you know, you know, they talk about each other. They're, they're friends. They encourage each other. You ought to do that kind of thing. And you know, y'all, y'all have something special being able to be somewhere and live somewhere where you actually do have a church and you get to be around real flesh and blood people. And instead of waving at them on messenger, you can actually shake their hand. You've got something special with that. 
and you don't want to take it for granted. There's people all over the world that would love to have something like this. And you know, if you can do something to kind of be an encouragement to those people, do it. And you know, people are encouraged too when they do get to visit this church and they get to meet some of you all and become friends with actual people from the church. They, they like that. It's a motivation. So keep doing that. All right? We want to keep being an encouragement to these people that are in these other parts of the world. You know how easy it would be for those guys in France to just quit soul winning? Nobody's keeping tabs on them. That's how it is in most of these countries. Nobody's keeping tabs on them. Nobody's making them do it. Do you realize how easy it would be for them to stop? No pressure. And we don't want them to stop. We need them to keep doing this. And so, we, you know, I say all this to say, man, we, we want to be an encouragement. That's the mentality the Apostle Paul had. These people were fellow laborers. These are fellow soldiers. And he cared about them. And he wanted to do things, whatever he could, to try to get them to keep on doing what they were doing. And so he's, here he's just writing him a letter. And notice what he says here. This is a verse that I've often uh, uh, misused. In verse 6, he says, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." Now, this is a verse that's often used to teach eternal security. Okay? Now, eternal security is right. There, there is such a thing as eternal security. It's real. That is salvation. But that's not what he's talking about right here. When he, when he mentions this here, when he says, He which hath begun a good work in you, what he's telling them here is that the work of furthering the gospel that had begun with them was going to go on till the day of Christ. The work that they were doing was a work that was going to continue. Isn't that what we all want? You know, I don't want to just, I didn't, when I started this church, I didn't want to just start this church as a place where I could have a job for a while, you know, and then until I'm fine and then me leave and someday and then it just shut down. You know, I want the work that we do to go on forever. Now, even if this church shuts down someday, and I hope it doesn't, but even if it does, that doesn't mean the work's not going to continue because are we not still benefiting from the work that started in that day? We absolutely, in fact, we are, we specifically benefit from what they did in Philippi because of the fact the Apostle Paul wrote to them and we've been using his letter for the last 2,000 years. We've been, we've been teaching the things that he taught them for the last 2,000 years. We've been getting inspiration from what he wrote to them for the last 2,000 years. I was talking with Brother Austin this morning about, you know, about how I was going to be preaching this and about, you know, the importance of just looking at these things in context. And, you know, and it's like, you know, we all think that we know the book of Philippians, you know, because we've all heard preaching from it. You know, and he, and he right away was like, yeah, I can do all things through Christ. And yeah, we all know that verse. So because everybody know, has a verse memorized from the book of Philippians, everybody thinks that you know they've got that book down. But here's the thing. We do all have, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you all realize that people have been using that verse to motivate themselves to keep going for the last 2,000 years. That was something Paul wrote to these people. That was Paul, something Paul wrote encouraging these people the work that was being done there, we, there is still fruit from it today. 
There are people that, some of these people I'm talking about out there today, they're still soulening with no church backing them, with no church encouraging them. I wonder how many times they've probably used this verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Aren't we thankful that they're, the, the, these Philippians were there doing the work? Aren't we glad they sent the Apostle Paul something to be an encouragement to him so he would write a letter being encouragement back to them that is being an encouragement to us still today? I wonder how many people didn't quit throughout the years because of I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. I wonder how many people actually went and tried to do something for the Lord because of Philippians 4.13. This work that had began in this church in Philippi is still going on today and it's going to continue until the day of Christ, until the rapture. Now, think about that. Right there, that just tells us I mean, how important the work we do, how important it is. You know, what we do often motivates somebody to do something that motivates somebody else to do something. This isn't just about ourselves and what we do. When you quit, you know, it's not just you quitting. You quitting might cause someone else to quit or it might keep someone else from starting, actually starting something in the future. The works that we do, they follow us. And that we ought to think about that. And I want to have, I want to do a work that's going to continue into the day of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul told him that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's telling them this work that you've started, this work that we are that's trying to be stopped, that Paul is in prison for, hey, they're not going to stop our work. This work that God begun in you, it's going to be performed, it's going to go on until the day of Christ. That's encouraging right there. That's what Paul told them, and we are, and the fact is, it is still going on. You know, and so, while that particular church probably isn't still there in Philippi today, I wonder how many churches there are because of the work they did. Not just because of the churches they went on to start and how they scattered, but once again, just because of this letter that we have. So, I think that's a pretty amazing thing when you stop and think about it. And the Apostle Paul, you know, under the, and I do believe, I do believe that the Apostle Paul believed that Jesus could come in his day. It, that doesn't mean imminency. You know, I imagine in his mind, he probably, he was probably hoping the Lord would come in his day. So while the Apostle Paul in his head, he might have been thinking, he which hath begun a good work you perform in the day of Christ, he was probably thinking, you know, this is going to last for the next, you know, 50, 60 years. But because what he wrote was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, while he didn't know it was going to be 2,000 years, he was still right. And even though, even though it's 2,000 years later, it's still going on. I think, that's, I think that's pretty amazing. So verse 7 says, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. So, um, in verse 8, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. After this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. So Paul wanted these people faithful until the return of Christ. And so, I do believe the Apostle Paul believed Christ could return in his day. Because he's telling, I want you to be faithful until he comes back. That's what he, to, that's what he told him. 
And in Philippians 2.14, Paul said, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So he mentions the day of Christ there. He's wanting them to hang on until then. In 2 Thessalonians 2.1, he said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So the Apostle Paul, he believed that the day of Christ could come in his day, but he also taught that it was not at hand. Now, why would he teach that? Why would he teach that the day of Christ could come in our day which he did. The pre-tribbers are right about that. But why would he teach that it was not at hand? Okay, Because of the fact that he understood that the man of sin must be revealed first. He understood certain prophetic things need to happen before the day of Christ can come. So, you will often hear pre-tribbers in, to prove the pre-trib doctrine going to the Apostle Paul talking about the day of Christ, being faithful until the day of Christ, and they'll say, see, the Apostle Paul believed Christ could come in his day. Yes, he did. But that doesn't prove eminency. So, uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 proves that. And here's the other thing. You know, so, and this is another thing too, because whenever you go to 2 Thessalonians 2, you know, they'll often act like, well, he's referring to the day of the Lord. You know, that, and the day of the Lord can't come until the falling away, until we get raptured out first. All right? You know, our gathering together can't happen until we get raptured. You know, it is, you know, that, 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 you know, they'll try to say it. Well, it's not, it's not talking about the rapture. But think about this. How can we do something until the day of Christ unless we are here until the day of Christ? So that, that has, the day of Christ has to be the rapture. If it's something that happens, if, there, if the day of Christ comes after, sometime after the pre-trib rapture, how can we be faithful to that? Okay, let's just use some common sense right here. Okay, the day of Christ is in fact the rapture. And Paul said, let no man deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand. So just, you know, kind of mark that one down and use that. I'm just trying to be faithful to the day of Christ. And if I get raptured seven years before the day of Christ, I can't do that. That's impossible. So just keep just a little, uh, you know, we're not doing prophecy tonight, but just something I had to throw that in there because people do use these verses to prove a pre-trib rapture and that's just, that's stupid. So, um, notice what we're, uh, so verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So remember, he's encouraging them about the work of the gospel, about the work of the Lord, the work that's been done. They wanted it to continue. And obviously, they probably in their minds saw the, the imprisoning of the Apostle Paul as a setback. And Paul doesn't want them to get discouraged by the fact that he's in prison thinking that you know the work has been put on hold since he's in prison. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells them this has actually caused the furtherance of the gospel. Him being in prison, it was actually a good thing. Paul's about to encourage him with the fact that it has not slowed down progress, but it has sped up progress. 
Verse 13 says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, it's hard to be scared of somebody calling you a name when somebody else is in prison for what they're doing. Are we not often... We are... The old IFB, they're, they're so scared of persecution. You know, they're terrified of it. But persecution, it emboldens real, real men. It does. And when I see somebody, if I see somebody being imprisoned for preaching the gospel, you think I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel like a wimp and a half if I'm afraid of somebody slamming a door in my face. You ought to think about that. And so this is, this actually caused confidence. You know, people who are in other places maybe, where they're not being rounded up, they're not being thrown in prison. Like, hey, what are we scared of? The Apostle Paul, he's preaching in places where he's getting thrown into prison and we're worried about somebody just looking at us funny. We're worried about somebody calling us a cult. You know what? Forget that. Let's go knock some doors. Let's go preach the gospel to somebody. You know what? Let's go see if we can't stir some things up where we're at. Let's go see if we can't do something like that. And he says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, in some also of goodwill, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. What's he talking about here when he says some preach Christ of contention? Well, with some it's a competition. You know, there's people out there that it is, it's all just a competition to them. And so they're kind of preaching the gospel for the wrong reason. But you know what? At the same time, hey, they're preaching the gospel. Some of them are doing it hoping to add affliction. They're like, hey, our competitor, the guy we're trying to outdo, is in prison. This is our chance. You know, now let's go see if we can build a bigger following and build a bigger church than him. And the Apostle Paul, he's just sitting in prison the whole time. He's like, you know, I'm glad they're just finally doing something. That's what he, that's what he's saying. And he's saying, hey, no matter what, this has caused Christ to be preached. And you know what? I'm glad. And let me tell you, I've seen this firsthand. And obviously I can't take credit for this. And I don't like to get up and talk about other people, you know, you know, too much when I'm preaching. But you know, you think about even just the ministry of Pastor Anderson, how it has emboldened even pathetic lame old IFB to actually step up their game a little bit. I wonder how many people, I wonder how many churches are out there today that are still, you know, reluctantly going soul winning because they're tired of being put to shame by this crowd. Okay, now that's sad. But you know what? I'm glad they're doing something. I wonder how many people are trying to do their own soul winning marathons and actually try to do some, you know, hard preaching themselves. I've seen some people actually step up their games a little bit when it comes to speaking out against the sodomites. You know, and I think it's because they're tired of getting outdone. I think they're tired of being put to shame. And so even though guys like Pastor Anderson are hated big time, that hatred of him has actually caused others to step it up a little bit. I listened to Sluter one time preaching against our crowd and talking about how they're putting us to shame when it comes to soul winning. You know, and maybe if a few of those guys are actually preaching the right gospel, we've probably motivated some of them to get off their fat, lazy rears and go out and do something. And you know, Pastor Anderson getting banned from all these countries, has that slowed down the gospel in those countries or does it speed it up 
Persecution tends to speed these things up. And you know, even though it might you know make look make him look bad, the fact that he's banned from I've lost track of how many countries. You know what it's done? It's caused the furtherance of the gospel. And so you know what? We rejoice in it. And even though some people they might you know, and I've saw Baptist people rejoicing in the fact that he gets banned from these countries. And you know what? While they're a pathetic moron, you know what? Oh well. At least now, you know, some of these, you know, where's all the missionaries in these countries that he's getting banned from? You know, where are all of them? Well, you know what? Most of them are keeping their lips zipped. You know, they're not going to stick up for him. In fact, they're going to go on to criticize him. But I wonder how many of these pathetic missionaries have maybe stepped up their game a little bit too. I know missionaries in other countries that have ran in to people from Faithful Word Baptist Church in their countries out souling. You can't tell me that doesn't motivate them. It's like, you know, maybe we ought to knock some doors a little more. You know, I, I guarantee it makes them, whenever they're out running into these people on the streets, I guarantee it, they're like, you know what? I'm glad I was at least out representing. I remember one time when I was at my dad's church in LaSalle, we ran into a guy from First Baptist and Hammond out souling. I don't know what he was doing there in LaSalle. But you know what? I remember when we ran into him, you know, I was glad when this guy came to LaSalle and was out knocking doors, I'm glad he ran into people from Lighthouse Baptist Church. And you know what it did? It motivated me a little bit. I'm glad I was doing what I was doing. So do you all see how all of this stuff, every bit of it, it's, it's furthering the gospel. The stuff that's going on, the hatred that there is toward this movement, it's actually causing the furtherance of the gospel. These people that write articles about us, that you know, make videos about us, all it's doing is spreading our message. It's introducing more people to what we do and it's causing us to have a bigger impact. And even if they hate us, you know, even if either way, what we are doing is provoking many. And so, you know what? I rejoice. And, you know, I guarantee you if the old IFB starts doing sowing marathons, they're going to call it something else. But we'll know what it really is and we'll know where they got it. And I'm not going to criticize it when they do it. I'll rejoice. I'll, I'll be glad that they did it. And you know, we, you know, no credit needs to go to one crowd. It's all about just spreading the gospel. And that, that's what we ought to be focused on. And the Apostle Paul, he was sitting in prison during that time, while the lame old IFB was sitting around, you know, schmoozing it up with the politicians and things. But e- either way, he's like, you know what? Me being here, it's actually caused these guys to try to pretend to be making an effort. And it's caused the furtherance of the gospel. And he's like, so I rejoice. I'm glad. He wasn't sitting in prison trying to show how he was better than the rest of those guys. He was just glad something was being done. And I am, I am encouraged anytime though, you know, somebody's doing the work of the Lord. Folks, I make myself look stupid all the time because I just automatically, I'm ready to support and just join up with anybody that looks like they're preaching the right gospel, doing the right thing. And that's why I regularly look like an idiot with the Tyler Dokas and people like that. 
you know, the Wesley Tomlinsons, the McCraneys. I mean, you can just, Bill McGregor. I mean, you can, I mean, just, there's a whole list. I mean, am I forgetting anybody? You know, people that I've linked, you know, and I end up looking stupid. Donnie Romero. I mean, just all these people that I have encouraged, I have been friends with, I have publicly supported and ended up looking like an idiot as a result of it. But you know what? I'm going to keep on looking like an idiot. If I see somebody and I just think they're doing the right thing, I'm going to be, I mean, be encouraging them. And I'm, I'm okay with that because this isn't about me looking good. It's not about me just proving that I have this great, you know, I, I, I can just, I can see through people. I have this discernment where I can spot all the bad guys. No, I, I'm just looking for people that are out doing the work. And if I see somebody and I think they're out doing the work, trying to do the right thing, I'm going to help them and I'm going to support them and I'm going to continue looking stupid doing it. I don't care. As long as I help a few good people along the way, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. My reputation's toast when it comes to, you know, who I fellowship with and who I encourage. So I don't even care anymore. So just bring it on. I'm going to be friends with anybody who is at least given lip service to doing the right thing. And I'll throw them under the bus. Right, if, I, if they turn out to be a Judas, if they turn out to be preaching the wrong gospel, I'll be the first one to throw them under the bus and I'll drive the bus. But in the meantime, if they're pretending to do the right thing, I'm going to encourage them. And I don't, I don't feel bad about that. So, what was going on with Paul? It motivated others to do more. Verse 19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice this because this is going to help us understand a verse in the next chapter that... I've struggled with and that I have misused. So the Apostle Paul said what was going on, what they were doing, this furtherance of the gospel, this spreading of the gospel, he said that this was going to turn to his salvation through their prayer. Wait, I thought we had to pray. I thought we had to call the Lord for salvation. What's he talking about here? And how come Paul's talking about getting saved at this point in his ministry? Now, y'all look at me funny. Like, he's not talking about getting saved here, is he? No, he's not talking about getting saved here. Not, not soul salvation, but he's in prison. It, when you're in prison, you need salvation, my friend. Not soul salvation, physical salvation. Okay, is there any doubt that he's talking about physical salvation right here? They're in persecution. He's in prison. We know from the book of Acts, people were dying during this time because of their faith. So, there's no doubt what he's talking about right here when he mentions how this is going to turn to his salvation. So, um, look at what it says in... Oh, I didn't, I didn't put it in my notes. I think it's in chapter 2. There's a, a very common verse here. Um, somebody find the verse... That says, work out your own salvation. What's that? Verse 12? In chapter 2? Okay, yeah. So, wherefore, at my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, a lot of people use that, like, you know, and some, the work salvation people use that. The old IFB that's always trying to make church members think they're not saved so they can get some salvations during the revival meeting, 
They often use that. Work out your own salvation. Are you sure you're saved? Are you really sure believing in Christ was enough? Are you sure you repented of enough sins? You know, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You better make sure you're saved. You know, and then the way I've interpreted that in the past is, well, it's just like, you know, working out. You know, use your salvation. Do something with it. Okay? He's not talking about soul salvation here. Just like what they were doing, what was going on, this furtherance of the gospel was going to result in his salvation. In other words, he was going to survive. He was going to get out of prison. During this time of persecution, he's telling these people, hey, you know, work out your own salvation. You, can, you know you're allowed to try to save yourself when it comes to, if somebody's trying to persecute you, if somebody's trying to kill you for the cause of Christ, you're allowed to work out your own salvation. If somebody tells you, if you don't leave my property right now, you're not giving the gospel, I'm going to shoot you. You know what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and running. All right? You know, you don't have to stand there and take a bullet at that time. Run. Okay? When the tribulation starts, you know what? If you need to, if you want to run for a little bit, if you need to flee into the mountains or whatever, go right ahead and do it. You know? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, don't compromise. Don't take the mark of the beast. There's some things you shouldn't do. But you know what? Go ahead and try to find a way to save yourself if you can. And see if you can't make it to the main event of the rapture. But I believe that's what he's talking about there in chapter 2. And we'll see more of that next week when we get there. But I just show you that because when he's talking about salvation here in chapter 1, it's not soul salvation. I don't believe that's what he's talking about in chapter 2. But once again... When you do e-sword study, you know, and you're just searching on salvation, you're going to think, oh, this applies. No, you got it. You got to look at full context. You got to look at what he's talking about. You got to look at why he's saying that. All of that is important. So verse 20 says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, so also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful to you. Now, when he, we use this passage here all the time too. But notice, Paul's not just saying this here, just waxing philosophical. You know, saying, man, you know, I just, I'm just, find myself just longing for home. No, Paul was actually in a situation where he may be going home real soon. Okay? This wasn't Paul just having a bad day. This wasn't the Apostle Paul just getting real spiritual and thinking, man, I'd just really like to be with the Lord right now. But to abide with you is far better. Okay? That's not what he was doing. No, Paul's in a situation where he's thinking, I could die. I might get killed. I might get executed. And you know, I'm fine with that. If I do, but you know, to abide here, it's far better. So let's go ahead and pray for it. Let's go ahead and work for it. Y'all keep doing what you're doing. This furtherance of the gospel, it's shaking things up around here where maybe they're being more friendly to Christians or maybe they're at least scared of the Christians. And so they're not going to want to kill me. What you're doing here is just may very well save my life. So you know what? Go ahead and keep doing it because while I'm ready to go, I can see there's still a need here, and so I'm fine with staying. That's why he's saying all this. And he said, in having this confidence, verse 25, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me 
by my coming to you guys. Like I do, I believe this is going to, this is, I'm going to get out of this. I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to stay in prison. I'm not going to be killed. I'm going to see you all again. And there's going to be, uh, there's going to be joy. There's going to be rejoicing as a result of it by my coming to you again. Paul's like, you know, there's still a need. God's not done with me. And he, and he was fine with that. So understanding what Paul's been talking about here, that's what clears up Philippians chapter 2. Because in verse 12 too, go ahead and turn back to chapter 2. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, when he said crooked and perverse nation, we always use this to talk about the United States of America. And I think it's applicable because we are crooked and perverse nation. But what nation was he talking about right here? He was talking about Philippi here. Or, well, not, or, where was he in prison on this? Or it was, you know, it was where he was in prison. He was talking about a specific place. And it was probably the case in Philippi too. It was probably really the, the most of the, you know, world at that time that was controlled by Rome. It was wicked. It was crooked. It was perverse. And he's like, you need to shine as lights. So, and you know, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Okay. And the thing is, he said, yeah, but they're trying to kill us. <laughs> you know, you and I would be like, that's for sure is a reason to do some murmuring. I mean, we murmur in church today, you know, because the building's not warm enough or the pews aren't comfortable enough or, you know, we had to drive too far or whatever. You know, we have all these things that we like to murmur and dispute about. But you imagine back then, when Paul said this, he said this when they're under persecution. He said this when he's in prison. When he's telling them to work out their own salvation. Hey, he's basically telling them here, you know, they're like, hey, they're trying to kill us. We're trying to survive. What are we supposed to do? Work out your own salvation. Figure it out. They're trying to kill us. You know, and it's, it's like, but that was the kind of problems they had to deal with then. And the problems that we're dealing with today are nothing. Nothing. Compared to when we, when pastors get up today, and I've preached it before, I preached a message once to do all things without murmurings and disputings. You know, we don't preach about, you know, not being persecuted without, you know, not murmuring about persecution, about being killed, about being in prison. You know, we say, you know, hey, don't get mad and don't murmur and dispute if somebody brought the same dish to potluck that you did. You know, don't be murmuring and disputing because somebody took your pew. Somebody took your parking spot. These are our problems that we deal with today. These are the things that split our churches. You know, do we buy the green carpet or the blue carpet? You know, that's why pastors have to preach these sermons today. The Apostle Paul had to preach it in that day because some people were having a problem with getting killed and going to prison. Bunch of crybabies. Man, we're, we're pathetic, folks. We ought, we, we ought to be ashamed. These people you know, would just be horrified if they could see how we are today. We, we are, oh, really? You got banned from a country? You know, try getting thrown in prison in these countries. Try getting killed. You know, you, oh, somebody, somebody made a video about you. Hey, try standing before, you know, a court, you know, and being mocked, being beaten, you know, 
Before, I mean, they did that to Paul. They unlawfully beat him. You know, try those things. These are the problems they had back then. So, verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you this of salvation and that of God. So, once again, the central theme here, the furtherance of the Gospel. We're, that, that's what we're working for. That's the goal. That is the job of our church today. We're trying to further the Gospel. We're trying to spread the Gospel. And he tells them, be, and nothing be terrified by your adversaries. Even though their adversaries had the power to kill them, had the power to throw them in prison, ours only have the power right now to say bad stuff about us. That's all they have the power to do to us now. But they actually had real power to do some serious things. And he told them that back then, don't be terrified of your adversaries. This is what's so aggravating too about these old IFB that will not you know, be public about their ministries because they are terrified of somebody doing a blog post about them, writing an article about them. They are terrified of that. I thought we weren't supposed to be terrified of our adversaries. And in context, our adversaries were people that could kill us. Or put us in prison. It, it is it is amazing how little we can handle today. It's absolutely pathetic. And so he tells them that this these adversaries, the at people who are trying to stop the gospel specifically, people who are trying to stop the gospel. Notice what it says. It is an evident token of perdition. Okay. That, uh, uh, some, that is right there is evidence of a reprobate. You know, Judas was the son of perdition. Judas was one who would have been better if he had never been born. Jesus said that. People, there's, there's a lot of people out there, they're not doing anything to encourage us, but they're not doing anything to try to stop us. Those, those are just lost people. We're trying to reach those people. But those that are out there actively trying to stop us, that's an evident token of perdition right there. The people who are out there trashing our church all the time, doing everything they can to just derail what we're doing, it's an evident token of perdition. So, don't be surprised when we're calling some of these people reprobates. If they're trying to stop the gospel, it's an evident token of perdition. So, uh, they just, that's just, that's the reality of it. And, the people who are trying to stop the gospel, they are going to spend their time on those who are doing the most. And that's why you see certain churches that get attacked all the time. You know, I'm ashamed to say we're a little new to being attacked by a lot of this stuff. But you know what? Hey, we're in it now. So, we're at least we're on the right track now. Thank God for those who have been being attacked for years and are still going. You know what? Shame on these massive churches that are out there that nobody would ever even think to attack. You think about these massive Bible college churches, nobody's attacking them. We attack them for not soul winning. (laughs) But, you know, do you see the reprobates going after these places? Absolutely not. No, because, you know, it's pretty bad when the reprobates are spending more time going after a Chick-fil-A, going after a chicken restaurant than they are going after a church. You know, it's pretty bad that Chick-fil-A obviously is doing more to spread the gospel by just the CEO saying he's against gay marriage than Baptists that are actually preaching the gospel. 
And Chick-fil-A is not doing anything to advance the gospel either. But they're doing more than a lot of Baptist churches are. And the evidence is the fact they're being attacked by reprobates. But notice what it says. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which He saw in me and now here to be in me. So notice how it says it's given to you to believe, but not to their persecutors. Why isn't it given to them to believe? Why aren't they getting a chance to get saved? Because they already had their chance. They're reprobates. Just more evidence of the reprobate doctrine. So it's clear from chapter 1, Paul is trying to encourage those who are being persecuted for doing the work of the Lord, for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul had a great burden for those who are struggling while doing the work of the Lord, and he was looking out for them. He's doing what he could, even if it was just writing a letter from prison. And this letter he wrote has been one that I guarantee it, it encouraged them to keep going, but it has also encouraged Christians for the last 2,000 years. Every one of us has used Philippians 4.13 at some point in our life to motivate us, to encourage us, to make us knock one more door, to make us just do one, you know, one more thing for God. And so thank God for these people in Philippi that Paul was looking out for. Their work are still following them today. What a legacy that is. Man, these, you know these people had no idea. They had no idea the impact. Can you, it, it, had they known, can you imagine if they'd have known that when they were going through some of the things they were going through, that hey, 2,000 years from now, people are still going to be talking about us. People are going to be encouraged to keep on going while they're being persecuted 2,000 years from now. Folks, you realize how much that would have emboldened them? But they didn't know that. They, they, did, they didn't know that. You know what they did? They did just what they were supposed to do by faith. In, in obedience to God, which is the same thing we've got to do. We won't get to see the final results until we're in heaven. But man, I can't help but kind of be envious and wish. He's like, man, I'm glad I didn't live back then. Well, you know, I don't think I have a chance to be being talked about 2,000 years from now. Because I, don't, I, don't th- I think the rapture is going to come too soon after that. Wouldn't it have been nice to get in on that ground floor of the church being started and to be a part of a work that would be going on 2,000 years later? I can't help but envy that a little bit. you know. But I can't do anything to change that, but I can at least do something now. I can keep on doing what they were doing, no matter what happens, no matter what kind of persecution comes. And if they were able to do it, I can do it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the church at Philippi and the example that they set. We thank you for the words uh, that wrote to them. We thank you for um, inspiring him to write these things that can be a motivation for us. Lord, they have been a motivation to us. And I was motivated to just keep going, just studying this. And Lord, we thank you for these things that you've given us in your word that are a help to us. And I pray you'll help us to keep on furthering the gospel and being an inspiration to uh, to, to others do the same thing. In your name we pray. Amen.